Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And before we begin, I wanted to dedicate our learning today to one happy cause um, and to one sad cause. First, I want to dedicate our learning to, uh, well, I want to give a shout out to my stepmother, Myra. Today is her birthday, so happy birthday, Myra. And um, on a sadder note, I also wanted to dedicate our learning um, to the merit of all of the people who are currently missing in the horrible building collapse in Miami. Um, And I know that we pray that they may speedily be found and be found safe. So this week we read Parshat Balak, which is a fascinating Parsha because the vast majority of it is the story of Bilam and Balak. Balak being the Moabite king and Bilam being the prophet he tries to hire to go out and curse the Israelites. Now, the reason it's a fascinating story and a fascinating Parsha is because B'nai Israel, the Israelites, are not actually involved in it at all. It is a story about something that's happening in the periphery, unbeknownst to them, as they are traveling on their way to get to the land of Israel. And so the question we have to ask before we look at any of the details of the story, our bird's eye view question is, why is this in the Torah at all? Why did God think that this should be included in our canon, in our holiest texts? And also, why in so much detail? Why can't it even just be, you know, if Hashem wanted us to know that something had happened, then just tell us briefly. But the fact that this is a huge story, and one that doesn't involve the Israelites, and one that they don't even ever find out about, is fascinating and bizarre. So before we, to answer that, I want to just review the story quickly. So, King Balak of Moab, he sees the Israelites and he says, "Uh uh-oh, we know what they did to the Amorites before, right? They beat them, um, and we don't stand a chance against them. So he says, let's hire Bilam to curse them. Bilam was this prophet, um, and as uh, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs pointed out in his Dvar Torah this week, um, there's been archaeological evidence to show that Bilam was indeed actually a prophet um, at this time, and was certainly in the way that the Torah presumes does actually have this connection to God um, and the ability to, to prophesize. So he wants to hire Bilam to go curse them. And so he sends messengers to Bilam and he says, okay, Bilam says, stay the night. I'll ask God at night. And God says, no, you can't go. And so Bilam tells the messengers and they go home. Now that could be the end of the story, but Balak won't accept this. And so he sends more messengers back with more stuff. Says the same spiel. And this time, um, Bilam says, okay, fine. You can stay the night again. And this time God says to him, all right, you can go if you want to, but you have to do whatever I say. And so Bilam, as we know, gets up in the next morning, and then we have the whole incident with the donkey he's riding, and the donkey gets scared, and he beats the donkey three times. Um, And then he goes, and he actually meets with Balak, and Balak sends Bilam to one spot to curse the Israelites, but a blessing comes out. And so Balak yells at him, and Bilam says, hey, I told you I can only say what God says. So... Balak takes him to a different spot. And we have that same thing happen again. Bilam says blessings, not curses. Balak gets angry and then takes him to a third spot. And Bilam says more blessings. And then the story concludes with one of my favorite lines in the Torah, even though I, every time I say that, I have more and more favorite lines. Vayakam Bilam vayilech. So then Bilam set out on his own journey back home and Balak also went his way. Total anticlimactic ending to a very tense story. They both went home. That's it. So when we consider that as an outline to the story, 
there's one major theme that emerges from this story, and that is repetition. You know, there's a common saying that what's the definition of insanity? It's trying to do the same thing multiple times and hope that it yields different results. Because what we presume is we're supposed to know as humans that if you try something and what and the and you get one result and you try it again and you get another result, you shouldn't keep trying to do the same thing. You should use, you know, some kind of a thought process, some scientific thinking, and say, okay, this isn't working, so now I'm gonna do something else to try to get that different result. But here, it seems like we just have a bunch of people who are trying to accomplish something that isn't going to be accomplishable, right? Bullock does it with Billam with the invitation to come. He sends, when Billam says no, he sends him again. Billam does that to God with asking God a second time, can I go with Bullock? And then he does it again with being the donkey three times. And interestingly, when the donkey opens her mouth to spit, to yell at him, that's what she calls him out on. She says, why have you beaten me three times? Basically, you keep trying to do something, it's not going to work. And then Bullock does it with Billam three times with the cursing. So it's very clear that one of the messages of this story is that if people or God is trying to tell you something, you can't just will it away. You can't just keep trying the same thing and just trying to get it away. If you ignore the facts on the ground, it's just it's just not going to work. You have to try to, to, to step back and say, okay, what is the universe trying to tell me? And even if that defies your understanding of the world and you're not going to get what you initially wanted, you have to be able to ask that question. But even that as a message, is that enough to need a whole Parsha? Now, I think that there is part of this whole theme of the story that occurs in the beginning of the story that actually does make this need a whole Parsha. And I think really does send us a very, very important message. And that's back at the beginning when Balak first speaks. So he sends messengers to Bilam. And what did these messengers say? There is a people that came out of Egypt. It hides the earth from view and it is settled next to me. Now, this phrase is very, very important because then Balak says, okay, so come please put a curse upon these people. But how is he describing them? Two important things. First of all, that they came out of Egypt. And second of all, that they are, the, the JPS translation is they hide, it, the, these people hide the earth from view. Literal translation is they are covering the eye of the land. Now, there's only one other time in the Torah that we have this expression of kisad in ha'aretz, and that is back in Shemot in Exodus with the plague of the locusts. And last year we discussed the locusts in this parsha. So just a refresher. The locusts are the eighth plague, and they swarm in and they cover everything. And the text says they covered the Ein Ha'aretz, the eye of the land. And some people say that means the sun and, and is a reference to, to God's dominion over the sun, etc. But the significance of the plague of locusts is huge because when Moshe introduced it to Paro, he says that these locusts are going to destroy everything not just your crops, but also your trees. When we know that trees are a sign of future growth, right? You can't cut down trees during war because the implication is that trees, the future, future possibilities is more powerful, more important than anything you have, any fighting you have going on right now. And so Moshe warns Paro, these locusts, they are going to destroy your future. They are going to destroy Egypt. 
And one of the ways they do that is kisat in ha'aretz, by covering the eye of the land. And obviously we know that that's not enough for Paro. Paro won't let them go. And then the locusts come in and lo and behold, that is what they accomplish. So now to come back to Balak in this week's Parsha. Balak looks at the Israelites and he says, ah, they left Egypt and they're going to cover the land. Now he clearly knows that something happened, important happened in Egypt because he knows that they've left Egypt. And not just that they've been wandering around the desert for 39 years or however long exactly it's been. That's not how he knows them, right? He could know them as this people who's just kind of been hanging out for a long, for a couple generations. But no, he knows their history. These are the ones who left Egypt, right? And now they're going to cover the land. He's intimidated by their, by their strength and by their numbers. And he's terrified. You could see that terror and that he wants to curse them and not go to war with them. He, it's certainly clear that from his perspective, he's going to lose that war. But he gets that message wrong. He perceives the fact that they cover the land, they cover the eye of the land as being the threat to them. But we see that actually in Egypt, it wasn't the Israelites who covered the land. It was the locusts that covered the land. It was the punishment for Paro being stubborn, for Paro looking at a foreign nation and saying, oh, these people are a threat. We must enslave them and bully them into submission. We must seek to destroy them. And that the lessons of the locusts is that kind of attitude, that is what destroys you. Your stubbornness, your refusal to see other people as a partner, your refusal to acknowledge their freedom and their agency over themselves, that will cause the plague of the locusts to come and cover the eye of the lands. Balak sees that and he, he misunderstands it. He gets it sort of wrong. He says, oh, it's the Israelites who cover the, the eye of the land. Not that it was the locusts, the punishment, the actual truth. And I think that this is a very important perception because it connects Balak back to Paro. Right. Paro, in the very beginning of Shemot, he sees this foreign nation. He says, they're going to be too strong. So what do we have to do? We have to enslave them. We have to bully them. We have to oppress them. And he could have done something very simple, which is just to reach out and try to create a friendly and amicable relationship, some kind of a breed, a covenant, something. So, but instead, he went with, with the, I think, the, the in some ways, easier option, but also very short-sighted. And I think we know from human history, maybe short-term success, but not usually long-term success. You can't just enslave another people and expect that that will be an indefinite solution. And that's really one of the messages of the entire story of the Exodus is that you can't just say, no, 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 no. Those people will eventually find a way to fight back and fight for their freedom at all costs. And so I think part of what the significance of Balak saying that the, the, these people cover the eye of the land is to say Balak is like, in that respect, he's like Paro. He looks at the strong people coming. And he says, okay, they've destroyed the Amorites. There was another option. You could reach out to them, try to make peace, try to create some kind of a, you know, it doesn't have to be a kumbaya moment, but at least say, you know, you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone type of thing. But no, he looks at it and he says, oh, we got to curse them. We got to disempower them. The only way to deal with the people we don't know and the people that we perceive as being stronger than us is to try to destroy them. And of course, as we know, he even misperceives the threat because if you see what happened in Egypt as the Israelites doing that to Paro, you get it all wrong because the truth is Paro did it to himself. And Balak doesn't suffer nearly the consequences 
that Bill, that Paro does. I mean, it seems, as we said, they just go home. Nothing actually happens, right? He's not oppressed by plagues, etc. But I think that this message is here for us to remind us that there were people along the way who continued to have that attitude, who didn't learn the lesson of Egypt, that Hashem commands us over and over to learn, to love the stranger, right? Not to oppress them, not to abuse them, not to shut them out. And that there's really, that's just not an approach that's going to create a successful, you're not going to actually, that's not a successful strategy. You're not going to accomplish what you're trying to if you just see other people as a threat that needs to be destroyed instead of trying to find new ways of peace and try to build relationship. Shabbat Shalom.